Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. Sprite Castle. With Robo Hair. Sprite Castle. Hello and welcome to Sprite Castle, the show in which I play, discuss, and review Commodore 64 games. My name is Rob Flack O'Hara, and on this episode of Sprite Castle, I will be discussing Ball Blazer. Now, do you happen to know what a rotofoil is? If you don't, you'll find out by the end of this episode. But before we get started talking about this week's game, let's check the Daily Sun for this week's Paperboy headlines. Welcome back to another episode of Sprite Castle. Uh, I want to kick off the news this week with uh, some information about a new item that has, relatively new item, I should say, that has uh, gone up for sale on Retro Rewind's website. Retro Rewind is uh, sponsoring the show, and one of the items they have up for sale is a freeload cartridge. Now, this is a, I guess these have been around for a little while. I wasn't familiar with them, but uh, freeload is essentially a uh, an updated version of Epix's fast load cartridge. And uh, so the guys, uh, Frank and, and uh, the guys up at Retro Rewind sent me a freeload cartridge to test out. It's uh, physically, it's a little smaller then an old Epix fast load cartridge. Um, it, it comes in a, uh, I guess this is a 3D printed, it's really nice, uh, case. Has a sticker on the front that says Freeload C64 Fast Load Cartridge. And it has Retro Rewind's logo on it. It has a on and off switch, which is nice. Uh, those of you that have used fast load cartridges before know that occasionally you will find a, a disc that's copy protected or has a, uh, a loading uh, program that is not compatible with fast load cartridges. So you can turn it off and it also has a reset switch, um, which is very, very handy if you have an original uh, Commodore 64 because uh, Commodore 64 did not come with a reset switch. Um, it has a built-in uh, machine language monitor and has a disc editor. It has disc operation tools. It has all the old things that the old fast load used to have. Uh, and then again, that reset button uh, works on, it sounds like a commercial, not really meaning it to, to sound like a commercial, but uh, uh, I've just been playing with it over the past couple of weeks. It works on, uh, I tried it on my C64. I tried it on my SX64. I even tried it on my uh, 128 works flawless with all those things. Um, but along with real physical disk drives, it also works with the SD2 IEC. If you have one of those uh, devices, it will speed up loading on that. It also works with a Pi 1541 if you're using one of those. And um, I was gifted one of those uh, maybe last year by um, one of my listeners. Shout out to Bobby. And, um, uh, so I, I really ran this thing through the paces and I absolutely love it. That being said, uh, I'm giving this one away. And so, um, uh, if you would like to a chance at winning this, I'm going to be putting a contest. You know what? Let's just say there's a contest. <laughs> we'll just start it right now. Uh, and, uh, all you need to do to enter the contest is, uh, Post on Twitter or on Instagram, and on either one of those, you can tag me. My handle is Commodork. Uh, if you want to put hashtag Sprite Castle in there so I can find it, that would be helpful. Maybe say something about the show or say something about your Commodore system or, or um, gosh, just about anything. But as long as I can find your uh, tweet by if tagging me or a hashtag Sprite Castle, 
then uh, on the next show, I will do a random drawing, and I will give this thing away. I'll send it out to somebody. Uh, if you don't win or if you don't want to wait for that, I will tell you that uh, these sell for $27 on Retro Rewind's website. And if you go to their website, and the, the URL is retrorewind.ca, and if you add forward slash Sprite Castle to the end of that, you get 10% off your purchase. So uh, you want to save a little bit off of shipping or whatever, you can use that code. So uh, that would knock it down a little bit uh, lower than $27. So it would actually take $2.70 off. <laughs> See how I did that in my head. Uh, but um, anyway, so if you want to win this thing, like I said, I love it. And uh, um the uh, uh, Frank sent me some other things from the store, and frankly, I'm having a uh, frankly <laughs> having a hard time getting rid of them because I've, I've been enjoying them so much. You know, I talked about on the last episode of You Don't Know Flack, I talked about modems, and one of the things I got was a wireless modem for the C64, and uh, I think I was supposed to give that away, but. <laughs> I'm having a hard time getting rid of it. I've been using it uh, almost every day for the past uh, two or three weeks. So I really like that thing. And I really do like this thing as well. But uh, I got to give something away he sent me. So anyway, you uh, post on social media. By the way, if you're not on Twitter or on Instagram, if you're not on social media, uh, then just send me an email and say you want to be entered in the drawing. I don't want to exclude anybody uh, just because they're not on uh, social media. Obviously, you know, by putting it out there, it helps me get the word of the show out. But if you're not on there, I don't want to punish anybody. So uh, if you're not on those, just uh, send me an email and uh, I will um, uh, get you uh, entered into the drawing. So we'll do that. Uh, let's move on to uh, the king of the castle. Last week's King of the Castle song was Rainbow in the Dark by Dio. And that was the song I played for the game Gauntlet. Now, let me tell you, I, I said very specifically that you had to come up with the, the link. What is the link between that song, Rainbow in the Dark by Dio and Gauntlet? And I said it was going to be hard. And the link that I came up with was before Dio was in a band, in his own band, Dio, he was in a band called Elf. And obviously Elf is a character in Gauntlet. So that was uh, the connection that I came up with. Uh, one of the first entries I got was from uh, Adam uh, from the Retro Gaming Bygones podcast who said, Dio wears leather gauntlets in the music video. <laughs> well, that's not what I came up with, but it was too good for me to exclude. Uh, so I thought, well, I'm going to, I'm going to let that one slide. Uh, and then, um, right after that, I got an email from Edward Smith who said the lyrics in the song rainbow in the dark mentioned magic and demons. And I thought, gosh, there's magic and demons and gauntlet. So, you know, it's not really what I had, but it's not bad. And then, uh, Scott Vandersek said, and this is a great one. This is a deep dive. Uh, but on the episode, I talked about, uh, the guy who made Hardware Wars and Hardware Wars, the main music that's featured in that is Flight of the Valkyries. <laughs> and Valkyrie is obviously a character also in Gauntlet. And that was too good to exclude. And then, um, I think it was, uh, Joe Shrippa said, um, that, Rainbow in the Dark was a reference to the rainbow of colors that were available in their character selection. So you know what? 
I didn't want to let any of these people in. They didn't get my elf reference. And uh, while I was busy typing up all these rejection emails, I looked behind me and uh, it appears that they kicked in the door <laughs> and stormed the party room anyway. So congratulations to Adam for the Retro Gaming Bygones podcast, Edward Smith, Scott Vondersack, uh, Joe Sharippa, and the Slow Norris for sending in uh, the winning selection. So congratulations to this week's King of the Castle. If you'd like to play along with the King of the Castle, all you have to do is listen. Towards the end of the show, there will be an 8-bit song played, which has something to do with this week's game, but is not from this week's game. And all you got to do is send me an email at robohara at robohara.com. Put King of the Castle in the topic, if you will, so I can find those. And uh, if you could tell me what that song is and how it uh, links to this week's game, then you might receive your own key to the King of the Castle. On with this week's news. Uh, This is news that uh, I was going to say involves me. It doesn't really involve me, but uh, Chris Page... Um, the, uh, gentleman who was behind Freaky Fish, which was a game I talked and I played and uh, talked about on a previous episode is, uh, working on a new release of his game called You Was Air. So it's U-E-W-E, like a sheep. You were here, you was air. Um, it was a 4K released for a comp not too long ago, but the game has been greatly expanded. Uh, now there are 12 levels, I believe. There's all kinds of uh, scrolling backgrounds and things like that. And uh, Chris was nice enough to put me on the list for beta testing the game. So I have been playing this game. It is a lot of fun. And so uh, I can't wait for the final release uh, for that to come out so I can um, share some <laughs> the footage and things like that because uh, I think I've played five or six different releases and uh, each one, there's little improvements. It just keeps getting a little bit better <laughs> every other day. So I've been uh, playing a lot of you as ear right now, and it's been a, a lot of fun. Uh, other things that I saw this week was uh, Robin Harbron uh, and his 8-bit show-and-tell videos on YouTube. He had a new release this week. And he talked about bread bin case variations. You know, a lot of people look at the VIC-20, they look at the Commodore 64, they look at the C-16, and those cases all look very similar, but there are slight differences between those. And so Robin pulls some computers out of his personal collection and shows minor differences between those cases. And it's pretty interesting that when he puts them side by side to see minor differences in the in the height or uh, uh you know, th- there's a one part where he shows just a little remnant on the back of one of the cases that doesn't really have anything to do with that case. But when he shows a different case, you could see um, it, it's really it's a it's a cutout for the RF port on a different machine, and so it was really interesting to see those uh, differences. But if you're not following Robin uh, and his eight uh, bit show and tell on YouTube, you should go find that. I will have the link to this and everything else in this week's show notes. Uh, I played a new game this week called Ninja Carnage, which I believe was an Amstrad game that got ported over to the Commodore 64. It is a uh, very interesting type of game. I don't know that I've played anything exactly like it. It's kind of a point-and-click adventure, but not the style that I'm familiar with. Uh, So it was very interesting, and it has great music. And when I looked at the release, the music was done by Aaron Hickman, uh, who also goes by, I believe it's Dia, D-Y-A, 
Uh, Aaron Hickman has uh, been in retro circles, a lot of the same circles as I have for a long time, and uh, it was great to hear some music that he put together released in this game. It was really great. So um, if you're looking for something a little bit different, uh, I believe that's a free download, Ninja Carnage. You could go check that out. Uh, I also got Gyro Run, which is a new game that came out this week. It is a uh, referred to as a spinner game, and you're kind of like a little spinning top, and you use the joystick to spin left and right. You bounce around, and you're trying to collect things and avoid these skulls. And I haven't quite figured out exactly how to play it yet. I've played it a little bit, but I'm not getting everything, so I'm going to have to dive into the instructions and reread those. But uh, it looks really good, and I just spent a little bit of time with it yesterday, so uh, you might check out Gyro Run. In possibly the longest gap between updates, there was an update this week to Revenge of the Mutant Camels. This was a classic Commodore 64 game uh, released by Lomasoft. That's uh, the company that was made by Jeff Minter all the way back in 1984. And the Commodore 64 version has always had kind of lousy sprite collision, and uh, it appears that Jeff Minter went back and fixed the sprite collection and re-released it. Uh, sp uh, sprite collision detection, I should say. Uh, so uh, that the new release is available for free on uh, LlamasoftArchive.org. Uh, there's a drop-down for 8-bit games, and you could go find it there. Uh, also, speaking of old games that were re-released, or I guess this was released for the first time, Space Panic was released for the Commodore 64. Uh <laughs> Space Panic was an arcade game, I believe, that came out in 1980. I think I read on the trivia that it was the first arcade game to feature ladders. Um, so it's a, a very early predecessor of games like Donkey Kong. Uh, there was a, a version on the Apple computer called Apple Panic. There's also a release of Space Panic on the ColecoVision, but it never made it to the Commodore 64 until 2021. So if you're a fan of Space Panic, uh, you could go Google that. It's on CSDB, uh, or, or just uh, Google will, will turn up a copy of it. Another release I saw this week on uh, CSDB was Guiana Adventure 3. Now, if you're familiar with the great Guiana Sisters, that was the game that was uh, basically a, uh, I won't say a ripoff, but a, a very close, similar game to Super Mario Brothers. Get it? Super Mario Brothers great Guiana sisters. And so what people have done is they've gone in and, and made new levels, uh, but use the original graphics and, and sound and, and music and things like that. And so there's a third uh, Guiana Adventure 3 that has been released. So it's like a, a brand new game. It's, you know, all new levels and everything. So uh, if you want to go check that out, uh, I played that a little bit. Of course, uh, every one of those is, is fun, especially if you're um, a fan of those style of platform games like I am. I think that's probably my favorite genre of game is 8 and 16-bit platform and arcade-style games. I love them. I watched a video this week on YouTube, which was a hack from Retro Hack Shack, uh, where he installs a new device which allows you to have HDMI output to a Commodore 64 I don't know that I need HDMI output on my Commodore 64, although uh, it's funny. You know, I mean, uh, when I got my first 64, I used RF output to a TV, which was pretty lousy. Uh, then I eventually got, you know, regular monitor cables and a, 
composite monitor, and that's what I had pretty much the whole time I had my C64. So now when I have things like the uh, bare metal C64 and the Mister that are going to a um, HD television or, or a, you know, a regular computer monitor, they look so crisp that it's not how I remember. And, of course, a lot of these things have uh, ways to introduce artificial scan lines or other artifacts to make the video not look quite as good. So this is kind of the opposite. It's a way to take the original hardware and get HDMI video out of that. So if you want to uh, see what that's all about, I will, again, add a link to that. And maybe you want HDMI out of your uh, C64. Of course, if you want that, they sell something called the C64 Maxi, <laughs> which is HDMI out. And you can just go buy that, I guess. Uh, finally, uh, oh, no, I'm not, I say finally. I've got two more things here. First is um, uh, someone sent me a link to a Reset 64 podcast. I, I was familiar with the Reset 64 magazine, but I somehow I missed uh, that they have a podcast, and they just released episode number six. And uh, so they talk about games that are covered in the magazine and, and different things. And, of course, a lot of other Commodore 64 podcasts uh, come from the U.K., and they have a little bit different slant uh, compared to a U.S. perspective. You know, um, uh, when I was a kid, I, I was like, why do they also have these games in PAL? Who's playing PAL games? Uh, I really thought uh, the U.S. was the majority market for Commodore 64. I didn't realize there was an entire and, and probably larger user base over in the U.K. NTSC was a, a minority. I just didn't know it at the time. Uh, but uh, I just listened to the new episode of Reset 64 podcast, and it was really good. Uh, I, I just I always feel like uh, there's there's room enough for everybody to succeed. Uh, so I, I'm I'm never jealous or anything like that when there's a a podcast uh, you know covering the Commodore 64. I have mentioned before I wish every podcast <laughs> talked about the Commodore 64. Well, not every podcast. I listen to Unsolved Mysteries. I don't know what mysteries they would have <laughs> with the Commodore, um, but uh, I certainly enjoyed it. So if you want to uh, hear somebody that that's uh, that doesn't have an Oklahoma accent talk about the Commodore 64, go check out Reset 64 podcast. Uh, and then uh, I did want to mention. Finally, that uh, Amigathon is coming up. Amigathon uh, is part of Extra Life, and uh, the Amigathon is hosted by uh, Boat and Aaron of the Amigos podcast. And they every year they put together a gaming session where they game for twenty four hours. They they game around the clock. And during this time, they get donations, and uh, these donations go to Extra Life. If you're not familiar uh, with Extra Life, it is a way to raise money for the Children's Miracle Network. And uh, this year, uh, what they are doing is they're not going to stream for 24 hours. They're going to stream for 12 hours, and they have opened the other 12 hours up to people that are on their network, and I have taken... Uh, the spot right behind them. So they're going to be streaming from uh, this is central time, central U S time from 7 AM to 7 PM. And then I'll be taking over the stream from 7 PM to 9 PM. And I don't know that anybody else has signed up yet. And as we get closer to the date, I might 
take a, a bigger a bigger slot or something if we don't fill up the slots. But I think people will. I think people want to want to join in, and it's for a great cause. The Amigos have already raised more than a thousand dollars, and Amigathon hasn't even officially started yet. So uh, it, it is a good cause. Uh, it will be on July 24th. That is a Saturday. And again, they'll be streaming from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. They've got lots of guests from the Amiga community lined up. They've got a real good thing uh, scheduled. A lot of surprises I'm hearing about. So uh, that should be pretty awesome. And then I will take over from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. again, uh, and maybe later, depending on who else uh, signs up for a, a block. But um, it won't be like my normal stream. I mean, there will be some Commodore 64 gaming, but uh, I've already been brainstorming some different ideas, some giveaways, some random uh, events that are going on, some videos I'll be showing, just all kinds of fun stuff. So uh, as we get closer to that date, I will uh, talk more about it, but uh, uh, that's definitely something you want to get in on. If you want to find out more, you can just go to Amigathon.com, and they've got a little bit more information about it there. Uh, and finally, I want to give a shout-out to my Patreon supporters. My patrons, these are the people that support me week in and week out. They get to hear my, uh, not hear, they see my ramblings on the Patreon subscriber page. They get to watch my videos as I talk about random things in my room every week. And really, they, they're the behind-the-scenes people. They're the guys that are uh, seeing different things. And I'm even I'm planning some other things. I want to start pitching different games to them and let them vote in the channel of what games I'll be covering. So um, if you want to be you know, on the inside of the show, these are the people that are doing that right now. So thank you. To Alan Hudgens, Armadon Restel, Carrie Clanton, Chris Folds, Christopher Warren, Cowbird Boy, Dan Paradroid Heavey, Darren Folds, Dan Creek, Dave Zilly, David Chambers, David Hearn, David Modelak, Eric Stryanisi, Gabriel DeGenero, Garrett Allier, Gary Heather, Graham Vebke, Jake Nonamaker, Jason Warrens, The Boar's Head Tavern, BBS, John Morrison, John Bodakar Schaller, John Treholt, Jose Quizada, Joshua Eckroth, Mark Alley, Matt Nicholson, Mike McLaughlin, Mitsuyama, Mr. Bundy, Mr. Wacky, Olaf Hope, Patrick Markey, Rydar and Christopher Bowe, Rick Reynolds, Roy Jacobs, Scott Lambert, Scott Vandrasek, Got to make sure I get that name right. I'm still working on it, Scott. Scrap Arcade, Stephen Burt, Steve Rasmussen, Steve Sharippa, The Slow Norris, Vintage Volts, Zeke Papsky, and Zerfall. And we cannot forget the mysterious one and only Cobra Kai. Also, I want to give special shout-outs to the two new patrons that appear on this week's list. Our 8-bit supporter, Zerfall, and new 16-bit supporter, Dan Creek. So thank you, guys. Uh, thank you one and all for supporting the show. I greatly appreciate it. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can email me directly at Rob O'Hara at RobOHara.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Robcasts. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me on the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. 
Also, don't forget that all Patreon supporters get access to the Amigos Discord server, which is home to several podcast communities, including the Amigos, ARG Presents, Pixel Guide In, and the TeamSpeak Irregulars. This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash Sprite Castle for a 10% discount on all purchases. And those are this week's headlines, brought to you by my local paper boy who just got run over by a hovercraft. Whoa, I think I gotta change my shorts. Now that we've covered this week's news, let's discuss this week's snack. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Crack, crack, crack the egg into the bowl. Talking snack. This week's snack are tumblers, which are, well, I'll tell you what they are. (laughs) They come from only one restaurant, and that restaurant is called Hatch, which is a local restaurant. There are... Uh, I believe two or three locations, but they recently opened a location near me and it's breakfast style food, breakfast and brunch. And there's a, another location that's downtown, but there's always a huge line, like an hour wait. And so we haven't gone there, but they recently opened one near me. And so I went there uh, not too long ago. And when my wife and I sat down, the waitress said, would you like to try our tumblers? And I said, well, gosh, I don't know what that is. They said, well, it's kind of our specialty. It's kind of what we're known for. And I said, well, gosh, uh, might as well. And then she said, do you want them loaded? And I said, why not? I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good. Tumblers are little balls that are kind of like if you crossed, hmm, if you crossed hash browns with hush puppies, <laughs> it's like if you took a hash brown, crammed it into a ball, and then flash deep fried it for a minute. That's kind of what it's like. Also, if you say you want them loaded, they come with gravy, bacon, and cheese. <laughs> I'm not going to say it wins a healthy breakfast snack of the year, but boy, were they good. And then when I ordered my breakfast, she said, what would you like as a side? Uh, and one of the choices was more tumblers. <laughs> so I said, sure. I did not get those loaded though. Um, but, uh, um, you know, of course, thinking of ball blazer and ball blazer has to do with pushing this ball back and forth. And so it was just kind of a coincidence that we got these tumblers, which look like, you know, these, this big pile of little deep fried balls on the plate. And, uh, man, it was good. I thought this is like, um, when I was a kid, this is what I thought the future would be like, <laughs> just be these deep fried hash brown balls, you know, and they were uh, really good. Uh, but speaking of the future ball blazer was published for the Commodore 64 in 1985 by epics. It is a game for one to two players that uses joystick controls. Now, When I say the game was published by Epix, what I mean is the game was originally published by Epix, and that really only applies to certain computers, the Commodore 64 being one of them. For example, the Atari 7800 version of Ball Blazer was published by Atari. Uh, The original release for the C64 was published by Epix, but two years later, the game was republished by Activision. So it was published. It has multiple publishers. It just depends on what version you get uh, would be who the publisher is. 
But more important than the publisher is uh, the developer, which was Lucasfilm Games. Now, Lucasfilm Games began in 1982. It was George Lucas's game division of Lucasfilm. Uh, the first two games that they released were this, Ball Blazer and Rescue on Fractalus. And those, the official release date on those is March of 1984. Now that's interesting. As I'll mention later, uh, the dates on that don't quite line up with the dates that are listed on Moby Games. Uh, if you're familiar with the early Lucasfilm games, they released games like Labyrinth, Maniac Mansion, you might have heard of that one, Zack McCracken, the Indiana Jones games, uh, and then there was a game called Pipe Dream, which I was a big fan of. Uh, but in 1990, they changed their name, and Lucasfilm games became LucasArts. That's also when they changed their logo the original Lucasfilm logo uh, looked a lot like the Lucasfilm logo that appeared on movies. It was just, you know, Lucasfilm in their uh, traditional font. And when they changed to LucasArts, that's when they adopted what they call the Gold Man logo. It's like a little stick man with a square body. And uh, and then there's like a purple L that's around him that says LucasArts. So that was when they adopted that logo. Uh, of course, everybody's familiar with LucasArts games, at least one. They released The Secret of Monkey Island, tons and tons of Star Wars games, Day of the Tentacle, Sam and Max Hit the Road, X-Wing, TIE Fighter, just tons of classic games. Uh, LucasArts, along with, I guess, Lucasfilm, was acquired by Disney. In 2012, and they officially shut down LucasArts in April of 2013. Sad day. Uh, as far as other titles from Lucasfilm or LucasArts, I've only covered one other game, and that was Labyrinth for the Commodore 64, all the way back on episode 23. Uh, there is a bit in the manual about the people that worked on and designed this game. I'm not going to go back and I'll read this paragraph, but I'm not going to, I didn't go through and find the history on every single person that was listed. Uh, but it says in the manual, Ballblazer was created by the Lucasfilm Computer Division Games uh, Group. David Levine created the concept, directed the project, and designed and implemented the screen graphics, physical dynamics, control structures, and mainline program. Peter Langston, the game's group leader, designed and implemented the sound effects and practiced droid intelligence, composed and programmed the music, and helped devise the gameplay mechanics and strategy. David Riordan and Gary Hare of Search and Design contributed game design elements and game rules. Charles Kellner helped conceptualize game dynamics, ideas, and support were provided by other members of the games group. David Fox provided aesthetic support, and Gary Winnick contributed to the rotofoil design. Special thanks to George Lucas. So this was definitely a team project. Uh, you know, you, you've got somebody who came up with the general idea, but you've got other additional programmers. You have graphics people. You have sound people. Uh, so definitely a team effort on Ballblazer.
Ballblazer is a futuristic sport in which two opponents controlling futuristic hovercraft on a large grid must try to grab and shoot a ball through each other's goalposts. The game is presented in a split screen with each player having a first-person view of the action. The box is interesting. It's attractive. On the front, it says Epics Prevent... This is the first release, obviously. Epics Presents Lucasfilm Games Ball Blazer. And all the text is in lowercase, which is interesting. Uh, in fact, all the uh, throughout the game, anywhere you see the word Ball Blazer, uh, it is all lowercase. And then you have this picture, which looks like an airbrush painting. It is an artwork of two rotofoils, and those are the hovercraft that you control in the game. They are on a black and green grid. Now, in the game, it is uh, green and white, so it's a little different. And you can see the ball that is floating between the two of them. Um, The back gets into the details about the game. Of course, uh, like most games, there's a couple of screenshots on the left. Across the top, it says Lucasfilm Games Ball Blazer. And then we have some information that says the year is 3097. You are the contestant in the fastest, most competitive, and by far the most popular sport in the universe. You and your opponent are strapped into rotofoils, hovercraft-like vehicles that skim the surface of the playfield at speeds of up to 50 meters a second. Your objective is simple. Score the most points during the time competition and be declared the champion. Your task, however, is a bit more complex. At the speed you're traveling, firing the plasmorb ball in Earth language through your opponent's goal takes more than just skill and timing. Do you want to take an over-the-horizon shot worth three points or get within sight of the goal for a two-point attempt? Your safest bet is to push it through, but this takes up precious time and is only worth one point. Think fast. Your opponent is making the same decisions. Or is he? Ball Blazer, finally the type of two-player head-to-head competition you've been waiting for. I would like to point out that all these made-up words, and that includes rotofoils, plasmorb, and then questionably over-the-horizon shot, are all followed by the small TM trademark symbol. Now, I will give you that you could trademark the word rotofoil, and I will also say that you could trademark plasmorb, mostly because nobody in their right mind would ever want to use the word plasmorb. But over the horizon shot, that one seems like a tough sell to me. I'm not sure that could be trademarked. Uh, At the bottom, we have uh, the specs for the game. It says first-person perspective for both players, realistic three-dimensional depth perception, three playing modes, regulation game, practice mode, and spectator mode, joystick controlled, and then it says two-player simultaneous play. Uh, And then on the bottom, you know, Epics did this thing where they would have like a little graphical, um, you know, uh, not not table of contents, but I don't know what you would call it here, but... um, uh, it just has like a picture of a, a guy thinking here, which is, stands for strategy. And then it has two joysticks, which means that it's action games, but also that it's two. So it's two player. Uh, and then it says epics down here at the bottom. Copyright 1985 Lucasfilm Limited. Uh, and then there is a little note. This is graphics from the Atari version of the game. So I don't know why. Uh, also, in the Atari version up here, the grid is light green and dark green, so it's even uh, a little bit different than the other <laughs> versions. So, 
then we get to the manual, and the manual is such a crazy <laughs> document. I mean, they packed a lot of crazy in only eight pages. Uh, but I just want to read the first the opening paragraphs here. Uh, it says, the simplest and fastest, oh, I'm sorry, the simplest, fastest, and most competitive sport in the known universe. It grew from dark roots in an ancient space war to become king of all games among every life form within range of interstellar ether casting. In exactly three minutes, Ballblazer can make you a hero or destroy a lifetime of dreams. The year is 3097, and the place is a null-gravity nexus mid-space in the binary star system Kalaxon and Calamar. Moments from now, on the luminous surface of an artificial asteroid, the final round of the Interstellar Ball Blazer Championship, the greatest tournament of all time and space, will begin, and history will be made. For the first time, a creature from the planet Earth has battled through the countless qualifying rounds and eliminations, enduring and then triumphing across vast parsecs to win the right to compete for the honor of his planet and the ultimate title any being can possess, Master Blazer. <laughs> this whole manual is written like that. I mean, first of all, again... It always amazes me when games would have such intricate backstories in the manual that have nothing to do with the game. Like, do you need to know that this takes place in the binary star system of Kalaxon and Calamar, you know, or that it's on an artificial asteroid and that it's a null-gravity nexus mid-space something or other? I mean, it's just gobbledygook, and it reads so silly today. Um, and there's more about the manual. Um, the, uh, well, one of the things, you know, while I've got, since we're talking about the manual, let me just go back to this and, and I actually have the manual open here and let me scroll up. Uh, there are huge, like there's a drawing of the grid, um, which I mean, if you can imagine what a grid looks like, I don't know that we need a drawing of it, but it's a drawing of the grid. And then it says one square on ball bay. Ball blazer grid, five by five meters. Ball blazer grid, 55 squares or 275 meters by 21 squares or 105 meters. The curvature of the grid, an object two meters high may be seen at a distance of up to 16 squares or 18 meters. Electro boundary surrounds the grid and keeps plasmorb and rotofoils within grid field. Um, this thing is full of so many little facts and details about the things that appear in the game. Uh, it talks about the plasmorb. And now literally, a plasmorb is a ball. I mean, if you've ever played soccer, how much do you need to know about a soccer ball? <laughs> or a ping pong ball? I mean, that's this game is, you know, that's what this game is, right? It's pong. It's a very futuristic version of pong uh, in first-person view. But they need to tell us the plasmorb is the diameter is uh, and it's such small i think it says five eighths of a meter its mass is a thousand kilograms it floats exactly two meters above the grid its normal color is yellow its initial velocity is 450 to 600 meters per second i mean it's just so much uh you know, over the top information. There's information about the rotofoils. There's information about, um, I mean, just everything in here. There's, there's just so much technical 
Yeah, I, I pulled this out here. It says the rotofoil is two meters high with a foot pad of 2.5 meters in diameter. Its mass is 3,000 kilograms. Twin axis thrusters with a cruising velocity of 50 meters per second. And then Rotosnap is your onboard computer that automatically rotates your rotofoil 90 degrees to face the ball. Rotofoil rotosnaps to face goals when you capture the ball. <laughs> Just so much of this stuff. Um, in case you haven't been following so far, uh, the ship that you're running around in, which is a uh, you know basically a little hovercraft, is your rotofoil. The goalposts at the end on either side are referred to as goal beams. The ball that you're shooting back and forth is a plasmorb. And then you have this this gravity around, which makes your rotofoil act like a bumper car, but that is the pull field, and that is the gravity surrounding your ship. And there's just so much. Uh, the title screen, when you boot this game up, you have the Lucasfilm Games logo again. You get the THX sound uh, that we got from Lucasfilm movies at the time, so that's uh, a fun little throwback. And then we get to the menu screen. Again, we have the word ball blazer, and uh, it rotates through some text. It says a Lucasfilm production, copyright 1985, Lucasfilm Limited. Uh, and then it says tournament certified interstellar ball blazer conference. Uh, now, at this, um, th there's some different choices that you could do here. And if you just hit return without doing anything else, it will go in a computer versus computer game. So you will watch the game play itself between two droid players, it says. Um, and then one, so that the screen is split. There's the top half and the bottom half. And each player, player one gets the top half. They get a first person point of view. And then player two is the bottom half and they get their own first person uh, view. So if you just hit enter and the computer plays itself, you can watch what the other two uh, are doing and there's a little asterisk here underneath that it says by the way uh the interstellar ball blazer conference strictly forbids betting on droid player matches <laughs> has nothing to do with anything but don't bet on the game uh if you hit f3 then you could go into the options you could pick uh the top player uh who's the the bottom player and whether they're human whether they're droids um the uh, top player is purple the bottom player is orange. Um, and then there's a game time mode, which is a short, medium, or long. The default is uh, three minutes. Um, you can also, uh, you could set, if you're playing against a droid, you could set difficulty levels one through nine. Uh, you could change it again from one minute to nine minute rounds. And then finally, we'll start the game by hitting F7. So again, you have the split screen action. And so you have to figure out which, you know, if you're player one, you're on the top. If you're player two, you're on the bottom. So you got to uh, watch what you're doing. But you can also see what your opponent is doing, although that probably uh, won't help you very much because the game moves very quickly. Uh, there's the, the plasmorb, the ball, that uh, is shot out and it moves pretty quickly. The the game's engine doesn't seem to always keep up with the ball. The the ball uh, kind of jumps around the screen sometimes. Uh, but the, the goal of the game is to grab the ball and then zoom down the field and shoot it through your opponent's goalposts. Now, the goalposts 
are moving <laughs> from left to right. They go all the way to the left to get to the end, and then they go all the way to the right. So they're moving back and forth. And as the game goes on, they get closer and closer together. So the goal gets smaller and smaller to shoot the ball through. And again, as that uh, thing on the, the rear of the box said, you can... Um, well, I, I should mention this. When you run into the ball, it just sticks to the front of your thing like a clown nose. <laughs> I guess that's your gravity pull, whatever, blobby stuff. Uh, but the ball sticks to your the front of your ship, and so you could just run it through the goalpost if you want, and you would get one point. Or uh, if you shoot it just by hitting the fire button and it goes through the goalpost, you get two points. But you could get three points by making a goal if you can't see the goalpost. So if you're far enough back that you can't see the goalpost, which means you have no idea where these moving goalposts are, in theory, you would get three points. I think that's, I mean, that's literally like in football, if you got extra points for a Hail Mary. <laughs> like, um, I mean, the only reason you would shoot a goal where you didn't see the goalpost would be on accident or out of desperation. So I'm not really sure um, why that that's rewarded, but, uh, it is, you get extra points for that. Uh, if it, if it goes down, um, also on the screen. So we've got that split screen view that we talked about again, uh, player one on the top player two on the bottom. Um, uh, mostly in your view, you always see the grid. Uh, you might see the ball, you might see your opponent going around, and then uh, you might see your goalpost. But that's about it. There's no more other details that appear up there. And then in between the two screens are your score. There's a countdown timer showing how much game remains or how much time remains in the game. It is not a uh, – there's not quarters or anything like that. It's just counting down, and when it gets to zero, the game is over. Again, the default time is three minutes. Um, there's a very confusing thing that happens that you just have to forget about, um, which is that your ship is constantly rotating. So, uh, when you're playing, it doesn't feel like you're rotating. It feels like you're always pointed towards your opponent's goalpost. So when you go left, you go right, the game doesn't turn. You're just always facing the goalposts, but you're sliding left and right. But if you watch yourself in your opponent's view, your ship is turning when you it always is facing the direction that you're going. So it's very weird because you you feel like whenever you see that, you feel like I don't know which way the goalposts are going to be, but you're always facing your view is always facing the goalpost. So I don't know why it's a very, very confusing design element. And they really should have just made the hovercrafts look the same from all four directions. They just should have made it like round or cone shaped or something like a, a pyramid. Maybe, uh, you know, the pyramid would have been great with a wheel on all four corners. And then it would just constantly be moving around so that it's not rotating. So it's weird because what's happening, what your opponent is seeing you do is not the same view that you're seeing. So it, it's a little bit weird. Um, I normally like to talk about strategy and tips, but there's just not a lot of strategy to this game. Uh, obviously, you want to grab the ball, and then you want to shoot it into the other guy's goal. If he has the ball, you run into his ship and try to get the ball from him and and uh, or knock it loose and then go chase it down. Um, I mean, that that's pretty much it. There's just not a lot of different strategies. Uh, one thing that I did 
read uh, as a strategy is if you're running all the way down the grid, you could continually shoot the ball in front of you, which I think is kind of like in soccer uh, when people you know kick the ball a little bit in front of themselves and then catch up to it when the ball slows down. Uh, but I don't really know what that gains you in this game, except for if your opponent's about to steal the ball, you could you know kick it and then run and get it. But uh, <laughs> I, I just don't know that that would help you. Um, I did read in a review that Ballblazer has a musical score that somewhat reacts to what's going on and that uh, it, there's some sort of randomization that happens, but also that it um, it reacts to the game that's going on. And so it, it is heralded as groundbreaking. That's literally the word. It said uh, groundbreaking from the industry and has only been replicated in a small number of games. Uh, but I didn't feel like the, the sound or the music was very groundbreaking. In fact, there's a tune that plays throughout the, the game that you'll get pretty tired of. It's not groundbreaking unless, uh, <laughs> I mean, if groundbreaking meant repetitive, then I would agree with that. But, um, and again, I'm not, uh, uh, you know, to use the Amigos terms, I'm not trying to bury the game. But, uh, you know, some of these things that may have been considered groundbreaking in 1984 uh, just don't seem that impressive right now. Uh, so, again, I talked about the score. You get one point for pushing the ball through the goalpost, two for shooting it while you can see them, and three points for shooting it while you can't see them. So, uh, again, I'm not really sure how that would ever happen, but I suppose it could. But I don't think you'd want to try that intentionally. Um, now in the manual, and, and we talked a little bit about how crazy this manual is, uh, towards the end of the manual is an entire transcript of two commentators watching a game of ball blazer. And so you can read through this entire transcript. Now I'm going to read you the first couple of paragraphs where the two announcers are introducing themselves. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and variants to the final round of Ballblazer 3097. I'm Slan Sterling, the voice of the void, and ether casting with me today is R. Boster Kipling, one of the great master blazers of recent times, now governor of the Omega Colonies. Arboster, welcome. We haven't talked since you purchased the Omega Colonies with your tournament purse. How is it owning a planetary system? Slan, it definitely beats working. On the other hand, there are times I'd like to be back in a rotofoil, working the grids like any other blazer. Arboster, this is the first time an Earthling has made it to the final round of Interstellar. What are his chances? Frankly, I think he's in trouble. These Terrans are a young species. They were barely out of their atmosphere when the game was invented. Which was when? Centuries ago, Slam, at the end of the Great Madness, back when there was still war. For deep space dogfights, you had to maneuver your vehicle under the incredible G-forces of close combat, reversing thrust instantly, sustaining plasma torpedo blasts on your energy shield, that sort of thing. The G-forces during space combat would snap your neck like a toothpick. And so a whole new breed arose, right? The thick necks, the shortened synaptic connections, the triple-walled lungs. Exactly. <laughs> this goes on literally for three pages. Um, as I'm, I'm scrolling down here, I mean, uh, you know, they eventually watch 
a ball blazer uh, tournament. You know, they're watching the game and they're commentating on it. For the next two minutes, billions of Earthlings scattered throughout their tiny solar system hung onto every word of the distant ethercast, hopes rising, then dimming as face-off Esther, face-off Zarta from the Minotaur system holds the Terran to a handful of points. Now, with fewer than 15 seconds remaining, the Terran Crockett is behind 9-1, to one, and the face-off begins. And here we go with the last face-off. The clock is running, the orb blasts in from the right. Look at that earthling move! He's captured the ball and rushes the goal, but pulls back, catching Zarda by surprise. And there are the first notes of the final countdown. It's an impossibly long shot. Incredible! He made it! The horizon is flashing. The clock stops with just 2.5 seconds to run. Three points for the Terran pushes his score back to four points against Zarda's six. <laughs> I mean, I don't know who would read this once. Uh, much less like go back to it. Why would they tie up so much of the manual with this crazy? I mean, this is more than just backstory. It's a fantasy commentary on a bout of ball blazer. I don't get it. I mean, as I was reading it and I did read the whole thing, I was like, who is this for? Um, and again, not a single part of any of this is mentioned within the actual gameplay. And there's no Zarda. <laughs> there's no Plasmorb. I mean, there's the ball, you know. There's no thick necks and whatever, all this other stuff. I just don't get it. It's just very, very strange. Uh, to top the strangeness, and I'm going to play the audio for this at the end of the episode. So if you want to hear it, stay tuned after the closing credits, and I'm going to play this. Uh, they doubled down. Lucasfilm released a video press conference uh, when this game came out. And uh, I want to say it's like five or six minutes long. And it is basically these guys doing another uh, commentary. It's not the same as what's in the manual, but they are commentating on a ball blazer uh, event and you're not watching it. It's just them talking. It's very, uh, I, I mean, I can't imagine it sold a lot of games. Um, it might've made people worry about their sanity. <laughs> oh boy. Um, early reviews of this game were great. 64 magazine gave it a 13 out of 15. Uh, but people cooled over time. Commodore user gave it 60 out of a hundred and Eurogamer.net also gave it 60 out of a hundred. And it currently has a aggregate score of 6.9 on Lemon 64. Now there are two reviews on Lemon 64 and I want to say one is 2 out of 10 and the other is 8 or 9 out of 10. So the game does have its supporters but um uh by and large I, I just don't think people love this game today um like they once might have. Um, I got a couple of reviews for this game. Uh, just a reminder, if you are one of my patrons and you are a member of the Amigos Discord, which comes with being a patron, I uh, solicit reviews of the game uh, from those people. And I got one from Boat a Car. And Boat says, this game is one of those games that people tout of as pushing 8-bit computers to their limits, but this game has always left me cold. 
You're playing a game, but you don't get a sense of who you are. Your opponent is just a geometric shape. There's no crowd, no referees, no stadium beyond a checkerboard play field. I would have liked to have seen more personality injected into this one. Well, you got to go read 14 pages of the (laughs) fan fiction that's in the manual. (laughs) And then you know too much about the backstory of the game. Uh, I got another quick review from Chris Folds. Chris Folds says, This was my first encounter of Ball Blazer being a newbie to Commodore 64 gaming. The graphics for this era are great, fast, and sexy. Nice tunes and ditty sounds, sound effects make it a pleasant experience, but the game sadly felt lacking. The action is fast and furious, but the overall direction and sense of accomplishment for me was lacking. Not one I will be going back to, but it was a fun distraction for 45 minutes. Chris, I couldn't agree more. Uh, if you played it for 45 minutes, you might have played it longer than I did. Um, I probably played five rounds of Ball Blazer and thought that was enough for me. Um, it, it, again, it just lacks real depth, um, both in, as Boat said, uh, the atmosphere is not very deep. I mean, there's not very much to what you're looking at on the screen. Uh, and the gameplay, there's not much to it. You t- get the ball and, and uh, run to the other end and put it in the goalpost, you know. So, uh, I mean, it would be like watching a, a basketball game if the basketball goal were on the ground and there were only two players. <laughs> you just grab the ball and ran back and forth and put it in put it in the hoop, you know. So just not that much to it. Now, uh, according to all these press releases, uh, this game was released in 1984. However... Moby Games says that it was released for uh, the Apple II, the Atari 8-bit, and the Commodore 64 in 1985. Then it got releases on the Amstrad CPC, the Atari 5200, and the ZX Spectrum in 1986. And finally, for the Atari 7800 and the MSX in 1987. So none of those say 1984. So I'm not sure what system it was released in 1984 uh, four, but um, but that is the date that is that is originally listed as the original release date. Uh, there are two sequels to this game. If you just couldn't get enough of Ball Blazer, there's a second game called Master Blazer, which Master Blazer is a term that appears in the manual. That is the person that wins the tournament, and that is available for the Amiga, the Atari ST, and DOS. That was released in 1990. And then there's a third game in the series called Ball Blazer Champions, which was released for the PlayStation in 1997. I did not check out that version, but, uh, you know, I would hope they'd have to add more to the gameplay, I would think, to make it a successful, um, you know, game on the PlayStation platform. There would have been a lot of great games to compete with in 1997. Uh, on eBay, prices were pretty low. I found a uh, a copy of Ball Blazer and Coronas Rift. Uh, this is the Activision release, and it had one game on on uh, each side of a diskette, so you got two games, and that sold for seven dollars plus shipping. I found a complete cassette version that had sold for twelve seventy three. It was uh, expensive shipping because it was coming from the UK to the US. Um, I did find a complete copy. That had sold that included the box, the disc, and the manual that went for fifty five. 
So that was on the higher end of things that I found. Uh, the, the real problem, if you want to find a copy of this for the Commodore 64, is if you go on eBay and type in Ball Blazer, about 95% of the auctions I found were for the Atari 7800 version. I believe there was a lot of, of uh, copies of that sold. So it's pretty hard to find the versions for home computers. They, they just got buried under the Atari 7800 version. Uh, and now we'll get to my personal memories of Ball Blazer. All right, time travelers. Seat belts fastened. Yes. Get away to the past. Memories. I got my Commodore 64 in the fall of 1985. And so there are a lot of games. There's kind of a line in the sand of games that were released before I had my Commodore and games that were released after I got my Commodore. And right or wrong, a lot of the games that were released before my Commodore just seemed kind of old and outdated. Now, looking back at the games library, there are a lot of great games from 1983 and 1984 right off the top of my head. I mean, Donkey Kong jumps to mind, uh, Ghostbusters jumps to mind, Impossible Mission. I mean, there there were great games, uh, don't get me wrong, but you know, as I had just got the computer, it always seemed more appealing to to uh, look at new games that were coming out versus, you know, games that already existed. So uh, this is a game that already existed. And so in my mind, it just seemed old. Um, the game does move very quickly. And so that's one of the most impressive things about it, that the grid that you're on uh, scrolls very, very quickly and there's no lag. So that part of the game's engine seems uh, impressive. However, the uh, uh, the ball itself just kind of seems to jump all over the place a lot. And so it's hard to track the ball sometimes. You know, a lot of first-person games on the Commodore 64 – like when I think about like Elite or Flying Games, Sky Fox, things like that, either had a um, tried to use wireframes to speed things up, uh, or just had very low frame rates. And so, uh, you know, the the scrolling of the grid is very impressive. So, you know, I mean, if you're looking at it as a technical demo, it, it's pretty impressive, you know. Um, but what I really remember is definitely sitting down with this game with uh, Jeff because we were always looking for two-player games and it being so easy that we thought we were missing something. We thought there was a deeper level of gameplay or more strategy or something more to the game that we were just missing out on and we never did figure out what it was and now that I've, you know, when I'm older and I've got the manual and I'm looking at it, I see that we weren't missing anything. It's just a very simple game, you know? And so the, the gameplay and the graphics don't really match up to me. It is an advanced uh, system. You know, they obviously they came up with some sort of technical trick to get the game to scroll that fast. Uh, and that's great. But, um, you know, to basically make a first person pong game to fit in there is is just um, uh, not as impressive as the game's engine. For graphics, I give Ballblazer 3 out of 5 Plasmorbs. 
the ships are okay, but pretty simplistic looking. Uh, but the grid balances that out. The grid effect looks great. For music, I'll also give it three out of five plasmorbs. There is some randomness that goes on, and, and the music is uh, okay. It's not terribly annoying, but it's not out of this world either. Sound effects, I'll also give it three out of five plasmorbs. And that gives the game an overall rating of three out of five plasmorbs. Uh, it is an interesting game. Uh, if you want to see what it was all about, I recommend going and checking it out. But you'll probably get tired of it uh, before too long, unfortunately. Thanks again for tuning in to Sprite Castle. If you have feedback about this or any episode of the show, you can always email me directly at robohair at robohair.com. Join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash robcast. Follow me on Twitter at Commodore. Come chat with me at the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord or leave me a message on my podcast hotline at 405-486-YDKF. All patrons of my shows get behind-the-scenes blog posts, weekly videos, access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server, and other additional perks. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash Rob O'Hara. This episode of Sprite Castle is proudly sponsored by Retro Rewind. For all your Commodore bits, bytes, and accessories, visit Retro Rewind at retrorewind.ca forward slash Sprite Castle for a 10% discount on all purchases. Sprite Castle is available from iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, the RSS feed at podcast.robohara.com, and through the official Amigos Podcast feed at anchor.fm forward slash Amigos Podcast. To hear more podcasts from me, like You Don't Know Flat, Cactus Flats, Throwback Reviews, and Multiple Sadness, visit podcast.robohara.com for links to these shows. Many of the news articles and game details for Sprite Castle come from websites such as Commodore News, Indie Retro News, Vintage is the New Old, the Commodore Scene Database, Lemon64, and Moby Games. Thanks again for listening. Now get back to roto-foiling your plasmorbs, and we'll see you next time on Sprite Castle. Slan. But our ether cams aren't mounted in Start the... talking. But and, er... Hello and good morning, sports fans. I'm Slan Sterling, voice of the void, coming to you live today from a no-gravity nexus mid-space in the binary star system Kalaxon and Calabar. Now, moments from now, on the luminous surface of this artificial asteroid, we're gonna be witnessing what promises to be some incredible action in this ball blazer championship. I'm sorry for the pitch and delay, and I hope that you'll bear with us as our camera droids mount the ether cams and our players' rotofoils. Now, with me here today is someone who really needs no introduction. Truly one of the great master blazers of all time, our Mr. Kipling. He'll be here filling us in on some of the details in his final face-off of the season. It is indeed a rare treat to have him with us, and he's certainly the man to do the job. With those three eyes, he just doesn't miss a trick. Welcome, Armister. Thanks, Slan. It's great to be here. Uh, as you know, Armister, 3097 is shaped up as a phenomenal year for ball blazing. Huh? Indeed it has, Slan. This is the first time that an Earthling has made it into the finals. 
This is a very new sport for the planet Earth that many Earthlings, amazingly enough, aren't yet familiar with the game. It is incredible, and I do think that expert as he is, Earthling Crockett has an uphill battle to fight here today. Some say he just may not have the refined concentration of his opponent, Zata of Minotaur. Now he is some kind of blazer. You betcha. I couldn't agree with you more, Armister. You know, Armister, while we're waiting for the tournament to begin, my producers tell me we have a pre-recorded interstellar ball blazer conference demonstration to either cast. But I think particularly some of our Earthlings who are new to the sport might be interested in seeing, huh? A stellar notion, Slam. What do you say we beam in? Ah, yes, the old familiar double-grid method of ether casting. Familiar to some, Armistead, but for those of you out there who haven't seen the game before, well, it does take some getting used to. What we have here are both players' views of the grid. And so that our audience can really be part of the action, we've mounted ether cams inside the players' rotofoils. How about that? Now, rotofoils are sort of like old-fashioned bumper cars that each player pilots around the grid. Now, each player on the grid is sitting in either a purple or an orange rotofoil. If you're on the top screen, you're in purple and facing your opponent in orange. And likewise, if your view is the bottom screen, you're in orange and facing your opponent's purple rotofoil. Your rotofoil can move in any direction. Now, let's watch purple's view from the top. He moves left. Zips right, left again, then backwards, and then forward downfield, hitting the electro boundary and jamming the corner of the grid. Now, Purple moves left again, sights his goal, and he's moving back into position at center grid. So remember, if you're placing your bets on the blazer piloting the purple rotofoil, you can watch his perspective at the top, and if you're pulling for orange, keep an eye on the bottom. I might just say, Slan, that the grid is fairly narrow and those electro boundaries are a technological blessing. They really keep us blazers from spinning off into the far reaches. All righty, now a practice point. Keep an eye on Purple's view above as he moves downfield to get the ball on the horizon. Watch and listen as he grabs the ball. It buzzes when he's close and turns the color of his rotofoil when it's under his control. Now, he's moving right along the grid to his goal. Zooms again, centering his shot between the goalposts. He blasts the ball, sinking it for two points. He's hurled back behind his opponent in orange from the force of his shot. If I remember correctly, Slam, next we'll see a demonstration of some of the plays that would surely tax the soul of any blazer in a real fast-paced match. So right you are, Arbister. First, keep an eye on Orange's view at the bottom as our players face off. Now the ball whips in, and it's a quick catch by Orange. Now, if you watch Purple's top perspective, you'll see him demonstrating the roto snap. Pay close attention, and you'll see a dizzying display of 90-degree turns. Round and round Orange. Sound is really the key here. That was the buzz of the ball, and Purple moves in to blast it out of the Orange Rotofoil's control. The ball is up for grabs, and Purple sails after it. He takes control, the ball turns purple, and he heads down grid to line up a shot between the goalposts. Purple takes his shot, and he makes it! You know, in a real game, the pace becomes positively meteoric, and the real key is concentration, concent... Excuse me, Arbister, but I just got word that the 3097 Ball Blazer Championship is about to begin. The Earthling Crockett, an impressive new contender, is piling the purple rotofoil, and you'll be seeing the action just as he sees it on the top half of the screen. His opponent, Zarta of the Minotaur System, who can really dish it out, is the heavy favorite here today. He's in the orange rotofoil, and you'll be watching his point of view from the bottom. And in the background, we're hearing the ceremonial song of the grid. Ah, it still gives me goose flesh, Slan.
Are you ready? Well, here we go. The ball blasts in. Crockett's on the move. Listen to that. He's got the ball. Fakes out Jordan. He's bolting down the side of the field. He's moving in to set up an angle shot. No! He cuts right. He shoots. It's an incredible over-the-horizon effort by Crockett. Three fast points for the Earthlings. Oh, Slan, a tremendous opening play by Crockett. So right you are, Arbister. And he does want to sink those OT8 shots in before the goalposts start to shrink later on in the game. Looks like Jordan's got tough competition on the grid today. And they're facing off again. Here comes the ball. It's neck and neck. Zarda gets it, slips away, and lets it fly as Crockett Roto steps to the side. Zarda blasts over the horizon. He makes it. Tying up the score, three to three. An impressive early warning to the Earthling. Now we're at the third face off of this championship game. Here's the ball. Zarda's headed for it and gains control. Crockett blasts it. Flying across the field. They're off like a shot. Zarda beating on Crockett. But Crockett snaps around Zarda. Blasts again, bounces off the end, and recovers to cut in front of Zarda. Now Zarda cuts in right, closes in, blasts. He sends a free ball flying. Crockett grabs it at the wall and slips away. Crockett shoots, misses inside, and Zarda recovers the ball. It's Zarda downfield. Crockett rails from the right. Zarda hangs on and cuts back. Crockett viciously holding Zarda back against his own goal. Blasting, blasting away. The action here today is incredible. <laughs> Slan, I think this is the kind of action the universe tunes in to see. And action is what they're getting. What a sight. What a fight, Slan. What highly evolved nervous systems are, mister. Just keeping track of the goal. Your orientation during a roto snap. It's enough to smash any ordinary big flash. Blast forward, Slan. That's the key. Blast forward and concentrate. Okay, now Crockett's controlling the ball. He shoots blind. He misses. Zarda zips ahead, recovers in front of his goal, and pulls a back wall, Charlie. Now Zarda's dribbling the ball, the mark of a true master blazer. He captures it, closes in, and taking no chances... Slams it through for a tremendous two-point power play. <laughs> Positively galactic. Oh, my. <sighs> Exhilarating play. Yes, yeah, looks like Zarda may have the laser's edge. Huh? Master Blazer Arbuster Kipling for Laser Light. When the blazing heat of working the grids gets to me, I chase my thirst with Laser Light. Laser Light, the toast of the galaxies and the official sponsor of the 3097 Interstellar Ball Blazer Championship Games. And welcome back. To recap while we were gone, Zarda has pulled dramatically ahead, scoring twice against Crockett, putting four more big points up on the board, pushing his total to nine. This could spell the end for the Earthling. He is dangerously close to a shutout. Okay, they're facing off again, and we're moving close to the end of the game. And here's the ball. Crockett's headed for it, grabs it, breaks away. Behind 9-1, to one, and he's still pushing. Zarda zooms ahead of Crockett, blocking Crockett's line of fire. Crockett fades back. Zarda tries to steal, but Crockett slips back, and he fires. It's no goal, and he recovers the ball at sonic speed. Now he's setting up again. He fires. It's good. A three-point OTH shot for Crockett. Amazing slant, simply amazing. But time is running out. Yes, time is running out. All Crockett needs is one more point to force this game with a sudden death overtime. Here's the ball. Zarda's on it, but he doesn't capture it. It looks like a power play. He captures the ball, fires, and misses. Now Crockett's after it. He picks it up. Zarda jams Crockett, but the Earthling gets off a shot. It misses. Incredible. Crockett's got the ball. The whistle blows. Crockett spins out an agonizing defeat. I just can't believe it. I'm sure he's wishing now he had just another microsecond left on the clock. Slan, I'm terribly impressed by Crockett's showing here today. Zarta was, of course, favored for victory and certainly didn't disappoint his fans. But the Earthling's strong showing demonstrates that his species is certainly shaping up to be major contenders in this spot. Well said, Arbister Kipling. Thank you so much. This is Slan Sterling, voice of the void, returning it now to your local Ethercast. We'll see you here next season. Same asteroid, same game.
Ballblazer, the video sport. This Ethercast is presented by authority of the Interstellar Ballblazer Conference. And any broadcast or the use of the accounts of this game is strictly prohibited without the prior written consent of the Interstellar Ballblazer Conference.